This morning we are going to begin a new series, short series, that will cover the month of May on the sacraments. What are a sacrament? And there's a particular reason we're doing this, because uh, the session has been studying for a year, a little over a year now, uh, the topic of the Lord's Supper, and in particular, the frequency with which we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so the, the session, your elders had thought that it would be fitting for us to take some time to study the topic together, right? To open up the Word of God and see what is a sacrament? What is the purpose of a sacrament? What is the Lord's Supper? Why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? How often should we? What is baptism? Right, and so we're, we're going through the month of May to be looking at this topic. And this morning, we're just going to be considering in general what is a sacrament? What's the purpose of a sacrament? What does it do? Why do we have sacraments? We, we live in an increasingly disenchanted world. And maybe you've heard that term before, but it, it essentially means that what you see is what you get, right? We don't. Our culture doesn't respond to uh, the idea that there is anything beyond this material world, that there is a, a spiritual realm or a God who is directing and controlling the flow of history. So we, we only believe in what we can see, what we can touch, what we can analyze and observe through scientific observation. Those are the things we hold true, right? That's what it means to live in a disenchanted world. But at the same time, we also live in a, an increasingly post-literate world. That means that we are increasingly moving away from being a literate society. That means not necessarily in a bad sense, although I, I do think it is bad, but um, we're moving more towards a visual culture, right? Where the medium in which we communicate is visually. I, I, I've been told just recently, actually, that Facebook is, is outdated. It's for old people. I, I had no idea. I didn't even know, but apparently, you know, TikTok and Snapchat are the ways that YouTube, through these little bite-sized videos where the younger generation is communicating with each other, right? They're telling their own stories through their cameras on their phones. So we live in a very visual culture, and some in the church think that we should respond to that, right? We should, we should uh, tailor and adopt our worship to meet the demands of the culture. We should be more visual, we should have drama. We should have videos. We should have skits in our worship. Well, the amazing thing about God is that he knows who we are. He knows what we need. And he has given us everything we need, not only in his word, but also in the sacraments. See, what we find is that God has given us a drama. God has given us a visible reenactment, enactment, of, if you will, or a, a reliving of the story of redemption in the Lord's Supper and in baptism. These are very visible, tangible ways that God condescends to us to come and meet us where we are because he knows we, we need visual along with the word. So God meets us where we are. So the question this morning is, what is a sacrament? We don't, uh, the text that we're going to be kind of drawing from and is, as an example is the text we read our New Testament lesson from Romans chapter 4. And we're going to be covering the larger catechism questions 161 through 164, which are printed in your bulletin. Now, we're not going to address everything in there. There's a lot. I've just included them for your reference. 
This morning, we're just going to, t- we're just going to answer the question, what is a sacrament by looking at the sign and a seal? A sacrament is a, a sign and a seal, but a sign and a seal of what? Well, of Christ and the benefits of the new covenant. So we're going to look at what is a sacrament under those two headings. So let's pray this morning before we consider this. Our gracious God, we thank you that you have condescended to us, not only in the sending of your Son, who took on flesh and dwelt amongst us, and is now seated as the God-man at your right hand, but Father, you have given us visual, tangible, tactile ways of demonstrating your love for us, of showing us the gospel truths, the promises that are exhibited that are displayed for us in baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so as we consider these things this morning, we ask for wisdom. For we pray this in Jesus' name, and amen. Question 162, I will read. It says, what is a sacrament? A sacrament is an holy ordinance instituted by Christ in his church to signify, seal, and exhibit unto those that are within the covenant of grace the benefits of his mediation, to strengthen and increase their faith and all other graces, to oblige them to obedience, to testify and cherish their love and communion one with another, and to distinguish them from those that are without. Now, there there are lots of things here, and I just want to focus on two things. First, what is a sign and what is a seal? It said that these signify Christ to his church. What is a sign and what is a seal? Now, if you'll notice that if you looked back at the New Testament lesson in chapter 4 of Romans in verse 11, it says both of those things together in conjunction with circumcision. It says, He, that is Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. Abraham received circumcision as a sign and a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. So what is a sign? A sign is a visible and physical appearance. Signs signify something. When you come to a stop sign, what does the stop sign signify? Well, sometimes it does. It tells you to stop, right? You come to the stop sign and it signifies to stop. The sign affects what it signifies. In the case of the sacraments, one of my professors used to say it's more like instead of a stop sign, it's like a barricade. It really physically prevents you from moving, right? The sacraments really affect the thing that they sign, that they signify. Signs also declare They proclaim, they preach through visible means. Some examples from the Old Testament, there are many, many signs which we could call sacraments, right? They signified something. The tree in the garden, right? It was the tree of life, it was called. Was life literally in the fruit that was eaten? Well, no, it was a sacramental. It was a sign. It was a sign that when eaten by faith, it would conferred life on the person who ate. Or you might think more, more generally of the rainbow. What was the rainbow a sign of? It was a sign to God that he gave to Noah that he would never again 
flood the earth. God would see the bow in the clouds. He would be reminded, and he would never again judge the earth in that cataclysmic way. There are other signs scattered throughout the Old Testament. The whole sacrificial system was a sign of the coming Christ. It pointed to a deeper reality. Right? That's why the blood of bulls and goats didn't actually forgive you of sin. But it signified the forgiveness of sins. It was a sign that showed you the forgiveness of sins. So a sign signifies something to the person. It represents something. What is a seal? It's another word that's important here. A seal is used in the same sentence. A seal of the righteousness that Abraham had by faith. See, a seal is a visible mark that confirms or authenticates something as being either genuine or having the approval of the person who sealed it. We don't have this really in our culture, but if in other times when a king would send a letter, how would you know if it was authentic? If it came from the king's hand, well, it would be sealed with his signet ring. And that seal would signify to the person reading, this has the authority of the king. It comes from him with his blessing. It is sealed by him. It's authenticated by him. A seal pronounces that this is genuine. It it authenticates the righteousness that Abraham had by faith. So for Abraham, circumcision is a visible reminder that he is righteous and included in the covenant people of God. And so we ask the question, what are the sacraments a sign and a seal of? What do they signify? What do they seal to us? Now, we're going to be speaking generally today because next week we're going to look particularly at the Lord's Supper. And then we're going to take a break for a week. But the following week, we're going to be talking about baptism. And one of the reasons why we've sort of reversed that is because Josiah Menchi, our our newest little member, is going to be baptized on the 29th. And so we want to, in conjunction with that baptism, talk about what is baptism? What does the sacrament of baptism sign and seal? Now, it might be obvious, but the sign and seal that the sacraments are is of Christ and the benefits of the new covenant. Maybe that goes without saying, but... It's worth also saying, and we're going to come back to this over and over again, that we don't want to too closely identify Christ with the sacraments. But we also don't want to divorce him. The sacrament is not Christ. Christ is in heaven with his Father. But the sacrament is a sign and a seal of Christ and the benefits of the new covenant. Now, one of the things that that signs to us, one of the things that it shows us, is that there's no benefits apart from Christ. If we don't have Christ, we don't have any of the benefits. And you might be asking, well, what benefits? I mean, what benefits do we get from Christ? We may, we may just generally summarize that as in salvation. We, as humanity, have got ourselves into quite a predicament, a predicament that we can't just overcome on our own, right? We fell from God in the garden by sinning against him. And the judgment for that sin is death. How many of you have overcome death? Wow, we got one hand. One person has overcome death. It's a miracle. 
None of us has overcome death, right? Except the man, Christ Jesus. You see, Christ came and lived a life as a man and God who fully entered into our lost condition, our hopeless condition, and overcame the penalty that we owed death by dying in our place. And he rose again on the third day, which we celebrated last Easter, and which every Lord's Day is a celebration of. And in that resurrection and ascension to God the Father, he completed his work of salvation. So what are the benefits that Christ offers to you? He offers you life. The chance to overcome death. To be freed from sin. From that enmity. Before Jesus offered you salvation, you were an enemy of God. I was an enemy of God. But now, because of Christ and His benefits, He is my friend. I'm accepted, righteous, forgiven, reconciled, made new in Christ. So what are the benefits that we receive from Christ? Salvation. We receive life, new creation life. And that is what is signed and sealed in the sacraments. I just want to say briefly something about how baptism and the Lord's Supper signify, sign and seal the gospel benefits to us. And we're going to talk more detailed of this when we come to those questions in the coming weeks. But I just want to speak generally. What is baptism a sign and a seal of? Baptism is a sign and a seal of your being engrafted into Christ. You know, we speak of engrafting, and maybe some of you have dealt with horticulture. You know you can graft a tree onto another type of root, and it will grow from the root and draw life from it. That's the picture of our union with Christ, that you, because you trust in Christ by faith, you are united to him. That when he died, you died. When he rose again, you rose again. Baptism is a sign and a seal of that. You have been united to Christ in his death in a baptism, and you have been risen again to new life. But it's also a picture, a sign, and a seal of your entrance in to the people of God, the body of Christ. The union with Christ is also a union with his body, which means a union with one another. So when we baptize Josiah Menchi, you all will also take vows to assist the parents in the covenant nurture of their child. Because, we are, because it really does take a village to raise a child. It really does take the whole covenant community coming lo- alongside of the parents to nurture and bring up those children in the admonition of the Lord. And so it's also a sign and a seal that that child is, is being brought into the new community, to the covenant community. Well, what is the Lord's Supper a sign and a seal of? The Lord's Supper is also a sign and a seal of your union with Christ and his death. You, he has given his broken body and his shed blood. And as you take and you eat, you remember that you died with him. That when he died, you died. 
That means you're dead to sin and you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is a sign and a seal that by faith you have Christ's righteousness. That his death counted for you. That you believed in him and so it is counted to you for righteousness. Just as it was for Abraham, the man of faith. But this is really important for us to draw out. Christ is not a sacrament. And no sacrament is Christ. We don't want, we, some Roman Catholics identify the sign with the thing signified too closely. And we'll look at this more when we, when we talk about the effectual means of salvation in a moment. But at the same time, we don't want to so separate Christ from the sacraments that the sign, that, that they become all about us. It's not really Christ at all. It's about what I'm doing. And this this is really the, the crux of the matter between Baptist and Presbyterians or Reformed. We believe that the sacrament is something that God does to us. God washes us in the waters of baptism, marking us with his name and says, Mine, you are a new creature in Christ. You have been included in him. God is the one who washes us in baptism. It's not our profession of faith. It's his declaration, his sealing of our righteousness that we've received by faith. And the same in the Lord's Supper. We're not setting our own feast. The Lord has set a table for us to feed us, to nourish us as we wander in the wilderness. So we don't want to so closely identify Christ that he literally becomes the bread and the wine, but we also don't want to so divorce him that it's just nothing, that it's just a a bare symbol, just a reminder to us, something that stirs the memory. This is a mistake. In the administration of the sacraments, the believer is not the star of the show. Christ is. They testify to what he has done for us. He has earned our salvation. He has washed us with new life. And he is feeding us mysteriously by his spirit. But how? How then do the sacraments work? How do they become effectual means of salvation? The Roman Catholic says that the sacraments work ex opere operato. In the working, it is worked. That means that just by taking the sacraments, they are working. Just in the administration of them. To say, therefore, that a sacrament confers grace, ex opere operato, is to assert, in effect, that the sacrament itself is an instrument of God. And that so long as the conditions of its institution are validly fulfilled, irrespective of the qualities or merits of the person administering or receiving it, the grace is conferred. It doesn't matter if you believe. It doesn't matter if I believe. If you take the elements, then the grace is conferred. We don't believe that. That's to too closely identify Christ with the elements of the sacraments. Interestingly enough, one of the conditions the Roman Catholic Church has for a valid institution is that the priest 
has to intend that you receive the grace. What if he's having a bad day? I mean, what if his mind is somewhere else? What if he doesn't intend? What if he's angry at you? You see, it, it totally undermines the fact that this is the Lord's table, that he is offering grace to us. But just participating in the sacraments, just being washed in baptism and eating and drinking the Lord's Supper does not save you just by doing those things if not done by faith. Faith is the key operative word in our participation in the sacraments. Paul shows this most convincingly in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 5. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Israel had the sacraments. They were all baptized. They all participated in the Lord's Supper. They ate and drank from the rock, which was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with them. Why? Because they didn't have faith. They didn't believe God. They didn't trust in Him. Which is astounding because He just delivered them from Egypt. Sacraments don't save you. They can't save you. Now, what does that mean? They're pointless? There's no purpose? No, that's not the case at all. The warning that Paul is giving is for them to be received by faith. He's not saying, well, okay, well, then we just do away with sacraments. That's not his point at all. His point is all is that we always should be responding to the Lord in faith. We should be trusting in Him. And so he has instituted these sacraments as means of grace. And we see it positively received by Abraham. Abraham's not trusting in his circumcision. He's already trusted in God. The circumcision comes after as a sign and a seal that authenticates the righteousness that he received by faith. How does Abraham know that he is righteous? Well, he's circumcised. Did the circumcision make him righteous? No. But that doesn't mean it's an empty symbol. But by faith, he looks And he sees, I'm circumcised, I'm included in the people of God, I have the righteousness of God that comes to me by faith. So sacraments are signs and seals that we receive by faith. But along with faith, there are two other things that are necessary for the sacraments to be effectual means of salvation. The Word and Spirit. All signs and seals, to be signs and seals, must be accompanied with the Word of God. I can't just get into a bathtub, cover my, immerse myself in water, and say I'm baptized. I can't just set a meal for myself and say, this is the Lord's Supper, and then it's the Lord's Supper. 
always the sacrament must be accompanied with the word. The word interprets the sign. The word gives the sign its meaning and definition. It circumscribes its limits, which is why we repeat the words of institution, not in some superstitious, magical incantation. By the way, the term hocus pocus was uh, thought to be a derogatory term Protestants used to satirize the words the priest spoke over the Mass at the moment of the transubstantiation. The priest would hold up the host and say, Hoc est enum corpus meum. And the Protestants made fun of them because they, they were magically turning the bread into the body of Christ. Hocus pocus, right? It seemed like magic. We don't believe that the word is magical like that. We're not superstitious. We believe that the word interprets the sign. It gives it depth and meaning. By the way, I've only been speaking of two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, but the Catholic Church has seven sacraments. The reason why the Protestant Church only has two is because our Lord only instituted two. He only commanded two. He commanded in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, to go to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he instituted, he commanded his Lord's Supper to be eaten and drinking as a reminder of his death until he should come again. Calvin was commenting on Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he he did some strange things. If you've read through Ezekiel, you know it's kind of a strange book. And he, you know, he one time he lays on his side for a whole year, you know, as he's prophesying about the fall of Jerusalem. And he he does various things as signs pointing to a reality. And Calvin said this about it. He said, This would have been a, a childish spectacle unless God had commanded the prophet to act so. And hence we infer that the sacraments cannot be distinguished from empty shows unless by the word of God. The authority of God, therefore, is the mark of distinction by which sacraments excel and have their weight and dignity, and whatever men mingle with them is frivolous. So the Roman Catholic Church has seven sacraments, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, which is the Lord's Supper, penance, which is confession, and extreme unction, which is the anointing with oil at the end of your life, um, and matrimony and holy orders. Holy orders are like ordination for the priesthood or pastoral ministry. And these are all things that Protestants affirm, but not as sacraments. Why? Because Christ did not institute those things as sacraments. Now, they might point to something just as um, the word sacrament is not found in the Bible. It comes from the Latin sacramentum, which translated in the Vulgate, mystery. What's happening in the Lord's Supper? It's a mystery. That doesn't mean God hasn't revealed what's happened, but that we, by our senses, by our natural reason, by our own wisdom, cannot discern what God is doing in the Lord's Supper and baptism. They're mysteries in the sense that we await God to reveal their purpose, which he has done. So marriage is called by Paul a mystery, a picture of Christ and his church. 
but are all people called to marriage? No, Paul is not. What distinguishes a sacrament from these other things, the Protestants have have determined was it must come with a promise and a command. And both baptism and the Lord's Supper do. But it's not just the word that must accompany the sacrament, but what makes it effectual means of salvation is, of course, the Holy Spirit of God. When accompanied by the word and received by faith, we may further say that the sacraments become effectual means of salvation when the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ, the benefits of Christ, and applies them to our lives. The Holy Spirit is the connection between the sign and the thing signified. He only affects their union. And it's a real union. We are really being united with Christ in His body and His blood in the supper by the Spirit. Christ is not physically present, but He's really present by His Spirit. And that union is a real union. And this is, this is the crux of the difference also between a Baptist view of the sacraments and the Reformed. The covenant theology teaches that the sacraments are something that God does to us. There's something that the Holy Spirit takes the things of God and applies them to our lives. He marks us in the water sign of baptism, signifying you're now engrafted into Christ, which is your entrance into the church, His body. And it's not something we do. It's something we receive by faith. And it's the same in the supper. The Spirit nourishes our faith in the sign of bread and wine, signifying that you have been united with Christ in His death. The Spirit takes the things of Christ and applies them to us. We are at best passive receivers of His grace, which is really exhibited and conferred. We receive. We come with the open hands of faith and we receive. It's not something that we do. It's something God gives. So what? What's the point of all this? Sacraments are a visible reminder that the gospel is true for you. They sign, they signify that you really are forgiven of your sins. That you really are reconciled to God. That you're no longer an enemy. God has given us fitting signs and seals that lead us by faith back to him. And that one of the things is we don't make up our own signs. We don't try to innovate and get creative in how we want God to sign and seal the gospel benefits of Christ. We make sure we are being led by the sacraments in the right direction. Back to God. That's why sometimes in the Lord's Supper, you need to look up, not down. The Lord's Supper is not a funeral meal. We're not celebrating a funeral, like a wake where you're, you're mourning. Christ is risen from the dead. We're celebrating our life and his resurrection power over death. And we're celebrating our union with one another. Lift your head up and rejoice. Look at your brother and sister because they are sealed by the gospel benefits of that sacrament too. 
But of course, the example of Israel in 1 Corinthians 10 should be a sober warning to us. You cannot, you must not rest in the fact that you were baptized and you take the Lord's Supper that will not save you if it is not joined with faith if you don't believe, if you don't trust in the God who gave His only Son, who sacrificed Himself on your behalf, then the Lord's Supper is meaningless to you. And in fact, it's a great judgment. You're sinning against greater light. You should know better. We need to walk the tightrope of not making God identical with the thing He is with the sacrament, but also not cleaving him completely from it. The grace conferred is a real grace from a real person. But that real person is not the water. It's not the bread and the wine. Nor is he within or under them. But he is, by his Spirit, really present. We're going to deal more specifically with the applications of these two sacraments in the week to come. But I want you to notice, though, the kind of God with with whom we have to do. That he hasn't just left us alone. Not only has he given us his word, which interprets the world for us, which helps us to understand who we are and how we are to live before God, but he's also laid before us visible, tangible reminders of his gospel grace, which is really exhibited and conferred to you by faith. So remember your baptism. Remember that you have been included in Christ, that your sins have been forgiven, and when you take the supper, rejoice and celebrate the life that is yours. And give thanks to the God who knows your frame. He knows that you are dust and he accommodates himself to you. He knows you need to see it. He knows that you need to taste it and smell it. He knows our frame because he made us. And it's fitting that the Lord's Supper was called by the church for millennia, the Eucharist. It's a table of thanksgiving. And that's fitting for all of the sacraments. We give God thanks that he gave us such visible and tangible reminders, signs, and seals of the gospel benefits of Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks that you have condescended to our weakness to give us the sacraments as visible words Visible signs of invisible grace that's really conferred, that's really exhibited in baptism and the Lord's Supper. Thank you for these tangible ways that you stir and nourish and build up our faith. May we be reminded of our own baptism and the high calling it is to walk as new creations in Christ as we live out our life of faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. And amen.